Well, we are in week three of our Family 30 series, and there's been so much good so far. I do, I do not have time to go back and to get you caught up to speed, but all the sermons are online, and uh, if you need to catch up, please go there. There's so much to cover. Today, we're going to get into the phrase that I said on the video, uh, blended, mended, and extended families. And I just want to let you know that... Um, that was just one of those phrases that came to me when we were shooting the video. You know, I said, we're going to talk about this and this. And I said, you know, we're going to talk, talk about blended, mended. And then I was looking for another word that rhymed and I extended. And then afterwards they were like, man, that's really good. What are you going to say? I was like, I don't know. I just made that up, you know, so. But I did study for the sermon. And I do believe that God has something for us today as we look at blended, mended, and extended families. And uh, the first two usually involve some type of pain. Uh, and the last one usually has a lot of good with it. And so we'll end with that. And I want to let you know that we're going to end the service here and at all of our campuses with an opportunity for the family of God to be extended. Uh, God wants to give the opportunity for people to call upon him to be their Lord and Savior. God says he will make you his son or daughter and forgive you of your sins. And we're going to give that opportunity at the end of the service to extend the family. So I, I want to say this, uh, each of these parts, blended, mended, and extended, all could be their own sermon. They could all be their own sermon. If I could just encourage you, uh, the sermon every week is really just a launching pad for you. It's not the wrap-up, it's the launching point. And so I hope that you'll take every sermon when you hear it and you'll say, Lord, help me to use this, help me to build on it, maybe in your life group at the dinner table, and you continue to build on it. So with that being said, blended. Let's talk about blended families because I believe God's word has something to say about blended families. And uh, as, I go, as I looked in Genesis, I realized that God's original plan wasn't for blended families, okay? When we look at the account of the family, God is saying to the man, he's saying, you need to leave your family, you need to cleave unto your wife, husband and wife will come together, leave and cleave. He's saying that it's a bond that is there until death do you part. But it didn't take long for uh, the breakdown of the family to happen, for dysfunction to happen. We talked about it earlier. We talked about murder entered in right away. It wasn't much longer, you know, right after that, we have bigamy and we have all these other things coming on. We have lying. We have uh, all these different family sins that are coming on. You look at King David's family, it seems like every dysfunction that could happen within a family was kind of wrapped up into one family. We see blended families that would come together, and usually in the Bible it was due to a painful experience with death. There was a painful experience. Somebody died, and then all of a sudden there was a blended family. You'll see also in the Bible that there were blended families because of polygamy. And if I could just say something about that just briefly. Uh, God's word uh, uh, is opposed to polygamy. God kept saying to the people, I don't want you to practice polygamy. He makes it clearer and clearer as he reveals himself through his word. He's like, that's not what I want. I want one man, one woman. That's the way I want marriage to function. And he is opposed to polygamy. But we see other examples of blended families. We see adoption, and that's a beautiful way to have a blended family. But as I'm studying this and preparing for this, I realized there was one blended family that had divine circumstances. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus was raised in a blended family. Jesus, uh, probably in great respect, called Joseph his father, but he was really stepdad. And so there's hope for you right now. So grab hold of this. I want to look at the best stepdad that ever lived. And I want to look at Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read this. It's not Christmas, but we'll read it. And uh, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus." I want to point out some amazing principles, amazing things about Joseph being a stepdad in this just short passage that it's loaded in there. And I found an article on a website called Singles Network, and I just thought they had some amazing points. So I took a few of those, and I want to use them in this moment. But I want to point out um, some things about Joseph. Again, remember, he has this huge weight of responsibility now to be stepdad to God's son. I mean, you think about the, the responsibility, but I want to point out a couple of things. And these principles, if you would apply them to your blended family, I believe they're going to help you in your situation. First thing I noticed about him is he had honor and respect for his family. He had a lot of honor and respect. Even before he has the Lord speak to him through a dream, even before that happens, the Bible says he was going to treat Mary kindly. It was as if they were married in biblical days. And he's like, I can't believe that she's pregnant. It's not me. And I, I could do all sorts of things. But I want to be a man of honor. I want to give respect to her. So I'm going to do this quietly. But then when the Lord speaks to him, he goes from good guy to great guy. He's like, all right, Lord, I'll do what you say. I have a deep Deep respect for everyone involved in this. It's way bigger than me. Another thing that I see is he has a deep faith in following God's plan. And if you're going to have a successful blended family, you're going to have to have a deep faith and just a deep commitment to follow God's plan. God spoke to him in a dream, but he speaks to you by the power of his word. And so today, as you have a blended family, you could take an example from Joseph. I mean, he doesn't even argue with God. God's like, you're going to marry her and, and you're going to raise this child. And you think about it. He, he's, he has all these things that are gonna happen to him. He doesn't argue. He's like, okay, Lord, whatever you say, I have a deep commitment to following you and doing whatever you tell me to do. I'm telling you right now, blended families, have a deep commitment to doing it God's way and saying, I desire to do it your way. Another thing is he makes great sacrifices. If you're going to make a blended family work, you're going to have to make great sacrifices. There's going to be friction. and There's going to be dying to self. And in order for this to work, you're going to have to say, okay, I will lay down some things. And you look at what he had to lay down. He had to lay down his reputation. I can you imagine? He's like, I'm going to marry her. And everybody's like, oh, so it's your baby. Not really. Um, no. Uh, right? it's, it's angelic. Right. Angel baby. Got it. Right. All right. You know, so he's laying down his reputation, but he's making great sacrifices to make a blended family work. He lays down his home. He doesn't get to go back to home. The, the Lord speaks to him in a dream and says, you have to go away from home. He, he lays down his business, the career, if you will. And he's like, I'm going to move to Egypt. Nobody wants to move to Egypt. He has to lay down his dreams. It was every father's dream in that day and age to be able to have children, especially to have a son, and then be able to have the honor of naming that child after someone in your family. And he has to let go of that dream. Our heavenly father tells him the name he will call this son. 
So he's laying down all these things. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're going to have a great blended family, learn from Joseph and make great sacrifices. You have to battle selfishness over and over to make a blended family work. He has patience. In, in Matthew 1, it talks about, you know, that when he awoke, he did everything the angel of the Lord said, and he didn't uh, consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. So he has great patience. He has great patience, again, putting his dreams on hold and saying, whatever you want, it isn't until years later that he's able to circle back and come back home. But he has patience to work with God's plan. If you are in a blended family, patience, patience, patience. Great patience. I can just see the friction that happens. You're not my dad. Oh, you're like sacrifices, patience, and all those things. Learn from Joseph. Make this work. Make this work. Another thing, he shows us great outcomes are possible. I want you to believe this. If you have a blended family, and that's the place that you're in right now, I want you to believe that great outcomes are possible. I'm sure you're thinking like, well, of course Jesus turned out good. He's Jesus, you know. How hard is that? You know, it must be about my father's business. Yeah, all right. Okay, I get it. I get it. But Jesus had other brothers and sisters. And let me use them as an example. The Bible tells us uh, that he had brothers. One was named James. The Bible tells us as well, one was named Jude. It's believed that James wrote the book of James. James was the father and leader of the early church in Jerusalem. So here's the brother of Jesus leading the church in Jerusalem, writing the book of James. Here's the other brother of Jesus. It's believed that Jude, his brother, wrote the book of Jude. So you see that other children in the family turned out great. And I want you to believe this, that if you're in a blended family, you can have a great outcome. You can have a positive outcome. Your family can go on and do amazing things for God. Do not receive anything that says, man, you're doomed, it's blended, just try to get out alive. Man, go for victory. Believe God for great things in your family. Now, again, let me just talk for just a moment where we live. I know it's not angelic visits that cause us to have our blended families and and, um, there are some amazing things that, do cause us to have blended families. And if I could just stay for just a moment. If you are a blended family or you've brought someone in through adoption, uh, that's amazing. Thank you for doing that. You are salt of the earth uh, people to do that. If you are a foster parent, I could tell you this, my own parents were foster parents. And over the course of my years in the family, they had about 70 to 100 teenage girls come and live in our church or in our home. And it's interesting, some of them are in our church. So it's fun to see my sisters. And you're probably wondering, like, how many sisters does he have? A lot, okay? Um, But here at all of our campuses, can we just show our appreciation and love for those that adopt and are also foster parents and open up their home and say, blended family, blended family, beautiful. Now, I know that many that have blended family, you say, well, that's not our scenario. And I, I know that many uh, become a blended family through divorce and remarriage. And so I just want to speak to that for a moment. And um, I want to let you know that we are for marriage. We are for marriage. We do everything we can to try to have a family stay together. We give pre-marriage counseling. If you're getting married at our church, you need to go through pre-marriage counseling because we want you to honor that vow. When you're struggling, we have marriage mentors and you can go to our website and you can find marriage mentors and they're at every one of our campuses. We have over 80 mentor couples that have helped over 550 marriages in our church. So we are for that. Even when couples look like it's the last 
end and it looks like it's over, we encourage them to go to Retrovi ministry and we hope that they can still reconcile. I want you to know that we are for marriage. I want you to know that we are against frivolous divorce. We don't take it lightly. There's an ecclesiastical responsibility. There's a weight that is on our church, that is on our elders, that we want to make sure that we've done everything we can to save every single marriage. We understand that, that we're not perfect, but it's in fear and honor that we try to say, God, help us to do the right thing. And I can tell you that I've turned down uh, weddings for close friends and even family members where they've said, well, you know, the divorce happened because we didn't get along. We just, I just didn't like them. I wanted to trade. And, and I'm just saying, in different scenarios. And we said, we can't take this lightly. We can't take this lightly. So we try to save every possible marriage, everyone that we can. Now, I understand this, though. The Bible is clear that there are situations where the spouse is not bound. Where the spouse is not, where the vow has been broken and the spouse is not bound. Again, we try to help those families, but we give that freedom for the spouse then to leave the marriage. But, and I want you to know that we stay as strong as we can whenever possible. It's never easy. I know that when couples choose to divorce, um, I know that it's never easy. It's painful. If there's children involved, it seems to never end. Okay, because there's always that friction. But I will say this, if you're in that blended situation, I believe that God wants to help you to get to the next level. God wants you to grab hold of the family that you have right now. Make the most of this right now. Believe for God's best. Move forward and see what God can do in your family. I will say this, and I, I don't want to make light of the situation of divorce, but in the situation of divorce, it's not 50% of marriages get divorced. Right now, the statistic stands that about 39% of marriages get divorced. That's still too high. But the more you get divorced, the more likely you are to get divorced again and again. A third marriage has a 73% chance of divorcing. Okay? Because the, the mindset that comes into the person is, I just need to look for someone better. I need to upgrade. I need to upgrade. And there's a, a lightness that's taken to this. And, and I want to speak to anybody that's in that situation. Again, being very honest and pastoring in this moment. Instead of looking for a better person, ask God to make you a better person. Ask God. Say, God, what am I bringing? Because I see people, they, they get divorced, and then they bring the same pain and struggle into the next marriage. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to work on you. And again, everybody points, yeah, but they, but they, but you can't fix them. You can't change them, but you can work on you and say, God, help me to be the person that you desire to me. Help me to be the best that I can be. Now, let me talk about mended families. Um, when I think about mended families, I think about dysfunctional families. I think about hurting families. Um, I think about single parent families that are mending and they're saying, hey, we're, we're mending. I think about widows and I think about orphans when I think about mended families. And the Bible has something to say about each one of them. And I, I just want to be clear. I'll go in reverse order. I want to say this about orphans. God loves orphans. Every scripture that talks about orphans, God's like, I've got their back. I want you to take care of them. Don't you dare take advantage of orphans. You love all the orphans of the world. You get out there and you take care of the orphans. That's the way God's heart is over and over and over again. 
And I love the ministry that our church does with orphans. We support orphanages all around the world. And in some of the places in Swaziland, we don't actually run an orphanage, but we take care of orphans. We feed them during the day, give them their schooling. We uh, have the church there for them, but we have them live with families in the community. And it's just like running an orphanage, but they have that family base to come from. God's heart is for orphans. And so if there's somebody that is without a parent, our our call is to love them, to take care of them. Matter of fact, James says this. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He says, good religion, you want to know what it is? It's stay holy and take care of widows and orphans. And the book of James, when James was writing this, he was saying, you know what? Church, you're looking good. He was telling the church, you're looking good and you're getting a little status, you're looking good. But I want you to know this, when you look good, don't just take care of people that look good. He said, when you look good, take care of people that are down and out and forgotten and left over. And you can see that, James, like, don't let rich people have special treatment. Don't do this. He's like, take care of widows and orphans. And, and I want to say this to our church. As we look good, take care of people that don't look good. Let's always love every single person. Look for the forgotten, the leftover, the down and out, and say everyone is welcome at River Valley Church. That's the way we need to live. Another thing, he talks about widows in that passage. And there's guidelines and instructions. God's so loving to those that are vulnerable. Widows were vulnerable in society. And he's like, I have guidelines. He's like, you know, younger widows, go ahead. Feel free to remarry. He said, you know, the older ones, he's like, family, take care of the widows. Church, if the family doesn't take care of the widows, church, step in and take care of the widows. This is the heart of God to take care of them. And I asked my mom, I said, mom, you're a widow. Could you speak to the church? I want to give you an opportunity. And she said, I would love to. So she wrote me a couple notes and I'm going to read them for you today. But she talked about this for widows. And I think this is so good for the church to hear. She said, don't wait for a widow to ask for help. Be proactive. Their lives have been turned upside down. They don't fit in with their married friends anymore. They don't know how to be single Think of how you would feel having to start your life all over again. Church, be proactive. And I think sometimes we use it as a cop-out, like, hey, if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. Hey, if How many know we say that pretty casual, pretty flippant? And she's saying, be proactive. Follow that prompt. Follow that prompt. And if, we have, if you know a widow in your life group, in the church, at your campus, Be proactive. Don't wait to be asked. Do the things that you would want someone to do for you, and let's be proactive with widows. I believe that would gather and grab the heart of God. Let me speak about single parents, and I I hope I can convey this in a way that you get this the way that God gave it to me this week. Um, I just felt like an incredible revelation and download with single parents. And I don't have time to read the passage, but if you want, you can write this down. In Genesis 21 and in Genesis 16... Single parent, okay? This is incredible. Hagar was a single parent. So it's complicated. The story's complicated. But you've got Abraham, and he's married to Sarah. She can't have a baby. So she says, sleep with my handmaiden. He does. She has a baby. Tracking with me? So she has Ishmael. Eventually, Sarah gets pregnant. She has Isaac. She says, boot Hagar from the family. 
You talk about single parent. So here's Hagar. She's all by herself, not in a day and age when she could just go get another job. She's in a time where she is desolate. It is uh, nomadic, if you will. I mean, she has to figure out, how am I going to survive? She is a single parent that is desperate and about to die. She's weeping before God, and she's wondering, what's going to happen to me and my boy? And in Genesis 21, God's like, I see you, Hagar. I see you. I see you crying, and I have a promise for you. You will not die. You're a single mom, but you will not die. Your son will not die. There's a promise for your son. There's a promise for you. And God says, I will take care of you. I want you to grab this if you're a single parent. God says, I will take care of you. In Genesis 16, Hagar, another moment, she's crying. Oh God, I don't know if I can make it in this marriage. I don't know. And God's like, I see you, Hagar. And he gives her a promise. And you know what she calls God? At that moment, she says, God, your name that I will call you from this day forward is the God who sees me. The God who sees me. And I'm telling you, single parents, you have a God who sees you and a God who takes care of you and a God who has promises for your child just as much as he did with Hagar's child. And he says, your child will grow up. Your child will have a good future. You can raise your child in the ways of the Lord. And there's a promise for you to stand on and grab a hold of. I believe that. And I would say this for single parents too in our church. To the church, be proactive. Be proactive with them as well. Give them a night out. Take care of them. Follow the prompt with financial blessings and other things. Maybe pay for their children to go to camp. Come on, let's be proactive in this. Dysfunctional and hurting. Let me speak to this, mending, blended, mended, and extended. We'll get to the extended in a minute. Dysfunctional and hurting. God can heal you. God can take care of you. Story after story in our church of families that were so dysfunctional and then God comes along and heals them and brings hope. People that you never thought that they could forgive their loved ones and then they go and they forgive them. I believe this, that there's hope for dysfunctional families and I just want to give you a glimpse again, something my mom wrote on Mended. I, I, I want to be very transparent, very clear. Um, a lot of you see our family, you see Becca and I, you see Connor and Logan and and you see our family, I'm telling you, we're going in the right direction. We're not perfect, but we are going in the right direction. We are building on what my mom and dad gave to us, what her parents gave to us. It's an incredible thing to see in our home. But our family was incredibly dysfunctional. My mom's family was incredibly dysfunctional. All right? And so I'm just going to give you a glimpse into just a little bit of this when she talks about mended. And she fought for our family to be mended. And this is a letter from my mom. She said, I remember one time when dad and I were in Florida visiting my parents. My, my mother was dying of cancer. My dad asked me what I thought he could do for her. I told him to call my two brothers and invite them for dinner while I was there so she could have all of her children together one last time. We hadn't been together for about 10 years because of our problems and dysfunction. He got very angry and said, she doesn't want to see you, my brothers. I stood my ground and said that would be the best gift he could ever give her. By the grace of God, he took my advice and it was the best gift he could have ever given to her. It was the last time we would ever be together. Shortly after that, my older brother, who was an alcoholic, committed suicide and my mom died of cancer. She said, if I could say to anyone today with a hurting, dysfunctional family, don't wait to mend the hurts. Don't wait to mend the hurts. And I'm just saying to you right now, 
mend the hurts, go after it. Believe that God wants to change your ending. You might have some incredibly bad chapters in your life. There's things that my mom still hasn't talked to us about, horrible, painful times of her life, but I'm telling you what, the ending has changed. We are on a new trajectory because she said God wants our family to heal. And I would say this, that um, you can show off God's greatness by sharing stories like that. You can show off the cracks and the hurt and the pain. Sometimes we don't want to talk about the hurt and the pain anymore, but sometimes you show off how beautiful God is by showing off the hurt and the pain. There's, a, there's an art form called kintsugi. It's a Japanese art form where they take broken bowls and they take a gold resin and they put the broken pieces back together. They actually believe, and I think it's true, that the bowl is more beautiful put together with the gold resin in it rather than it was when it was unbroken. And I believe that you could have kintsugi faith art. You could say, man, my family, it may have looked shattered. It may have looked destroyed. But the love of God and the grace of God came in and just put gold and beauty where there could have been ugly and destruction. We could have been useless, but now we are useful, not only for service, but also for God's glory. Now ending on extended family. And I shared this yesterday and I was all positive with extended family and then people reminded me you have a good extended family I don't (laughs) so I will talk for just a moment here Um, a lot of the things with extended family you're going to need the same things that I said in the blended family I understand sometimes there's great pain with parents grandparents aunts uncles I understand that And the same principles that were there for the blended family, if you'll grab those, and you need to give lots of grace and forgiveness. Lots of grace and forgiveness if your extended family has done you harm. Now, for the good part of extended families, um, extended families with grandparents, I just want, how many know that's a good thing to end on is grandparents, right? Uh, We'll end on that. And uh, uh, someday I'll get that title of grandpa. I don't have it yet. And I said to Becca the other day, I said, I want to be known as the fun grandpa. I just am declaring that right now. Uh, So word to anyone, if your daughter marries my son, I want to be the fun grandpa. Anyways, um, (laughs) the Bible says a lot about extended families. The Bible says this. It talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Do you know that most of the people in the Bible lived in extended families? When they built a home, they didn't say, like, I got my place, you're moving across town. And you just built right on to dad's house. The son would add on to dad's house. And there usually were three generations living in one home. That's why where the Bible says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you. He's saying God's always adding on. God's always adding on. He's extending the family. He's adding on. There's many rooms. And God gives uh, so many good things with through the extended family, through the grandparents. And I want to tell you a couple things that grandparents or extended family can give as we close this out. The first thing they can give is history. When a grandparent shares like, this is where we were and this is where we are now. It's amazing when my mom and my dad could share with our children, when Becca's mom and dad could share the stories and tell us about where they grew up and how hard it was and uphill both ways to school and back. You know what I'm saying? Those things. I mean, those things give us a sense of history. But better than that, when they tell us how they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it gives our family a sense of history and a sense of belonging. I'm going to tell you this, that grandparents can model 
unconditional love. I mean, I've watched grandparents as they love their children, grandchildren. I believe it goes beyond unconditional. How many know it looks like irrational love? You know what I'm saying? And you can open up their eyes to a whole new view of God with irrational, unconditional love that is there. And that's something that kids need a whole bunch of. Another thing you can do is you can give the family a better perspective from your wisdom and your age. You can let us know that we can live for the long game and not the now. In the, in the crisis, you can bring wisdom to that situation in our faith and in our morals. And if I could say this to grandparents right now, speak into the morals of your grandchildren. You, you have that ability. Okay, first of all, you are seen in a favorable light. I mean, you're the one that lets them have a cookie before dinner. You know what I'm saying? You're, they like you. So speak into their life in those area of morals and, and, and challenge them in those areas because they will listen to that voice. Another thing that grandparents can do, that extended family, it can help you manage a busy schedule and help you in so many different ways. Whether your family is able to help with financial resources or with time resources. I can tell you this, that my mom watched our two children, Connor and Logan, while we were starting the church. She's like, that's my gift to the church. I can tell you this, that my uh, in-laws, Paul and Betty, gave us a, a vacation every year. They said, bring the kids to the lake, drop them off, we'll keep them for the week, and you go have Robin Becca time. Man, we love that weekend. The kids are like, we're going to the lake. We're like, you're going to the lake, all right. <laughs> yeah. And they did fun little games like the Olympics and things, and some of those are their best memories. Help the family. And as I close, I would just want to say this about extended family. Uh, Jesus said it in my father's house, there's many rooms. It talks about God extending his family, and there's always room for family. There's always room for the next person that says, I desire to be part of this family. Beautiful scripture in 1 John 3, 1. It says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. It's great love. Unconditional, grace-filled, irrational, if you will. Love that God would say he could love sinners like you and I. And say, I desire to forgive you of your sins. I love you. I, I sent my son to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you could ask for forgiveness and be called the son or daughter of God. It's a beautiful thing. And he says, I want to welcome you to the family. So here and at all of our campuses, could we close our eyes and bow our heads? And right now in this moment, I just want to ask, are you part of the family of God? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Because Jesus right now is offering that again. He paid the price for your sins. And he says, if you'll ask for forgiveness, it's a beautiful thing. The love of God can be given to you. The forgiveness of God can be given to you. The grace of God can be given to you. And you can call God your heavenly father. He will call you a son or daughter. Please don't let your earthly father cloud your view of your heavenly father. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's beautiful. He's amazing. He's forgiving. He's gracious. And he desires right now to extend his family.